0: this is the virgin radio pride cast
1: my pride playlist
0: virgin radio pride steve denny with you tonight on virgin radio pride and this is my pride playlist I want to introduce someone very special tonight comedian writer presenter in my personal humble opinion funniest man on the television right now tom allen hello
1: hello steve i am thrilled to be here i am i'm very excited I'm wearing my um, Pride outfit, and uh, I'm thrilled. Thank you.
0: Now, in the next hour, you're going to pick some, well, I'm just looking at the list here, some superb tracks as part of your Pride playlist. Uh, The first one, top of the list, is Pet Shop Boys. Why did you pick this?
1: Well, this was the first album that I'd asked for um, when I was about nine, I think, um, when it came out, uh, Pet Shop Boys, Please. And um, it was... Uh, I think the first CD I'd ever been given. And um, it couldn't be more camp as a choice for a nine-year-old. <laughs> but I had no idea at the time why I was drawn to this. But I I really love the Petro Boys. I don't know why. I think it's the a, a sort of slightly dramatic, slightly kind of c- kind of winsome lyrics, and and yet combined with a, with a, an electronic sound, which wouldn't have been my thing when I was... I wasn't really into electronica when I was nine. But uh, somehow it seemed palatable to me. I don't know why. I think it was just the way they... They write it, and I, I'm aware of their influences. Which, as I grew older, I realized I had similar interests as well. People like Noel Coward, and um, and and sort of musicals and stuff. So the signs were very much there uh, <laughs> for me, for for the people around me, and uh, when I was nine, and asking for a Pet Shop Boys album. And I, I, I yeah, I've always I've always really loved them, and I like the way that they, you know, they wrote that that wonderful musical about Alan Turing, and yeah. and um, and they, they they kind of, I, yeah, there's a sort of sadness with it, which I think runs through all the the tracks I've chosen here, which. I tuned into even as a, as a small child, because I think it's pride month and everything. And we're talking about things to do with that. There, there was, I real, I realized now looking back, I kind of lent into anything a bit sad because I think sometimes as a, as a queer person, you've, you, you feel quite sort of isolated and quite sad at times because you don't know if, well, I didn't know if there are other people like me out there. And I sort of, I think that's sort of why there's a, there's a longing in the in the music, in the petrol boys, and I think I related to that even as a child, which perhaps is strange, but there you go.
0: Now, Tom, in your book, No Shame, A Queer Life in Suburbia, you talk a lot about growing up, and I feel kind of in a weird way affiliated to you, because I know you grew up in Bom- uh, Bromley. I was a, a Bexley Heath boy. Don't judge me. Uh, we looked
1: 269. As- yes, yes, indeed. 269 bus away. We looked at yeah.
0: you guys as the kind of the, the posher dudes. Um, uh, and did you? I stood outside the Glade Shopping Centre thinking, uh, if yes. only we had
1: this. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Well, of course, you had the. Um, sorry, I'm just sitting on the floor because I don't have any furniture. In my, <laughs> I've just moved into a new house. So I don't have any furniture. Um, the, um, uh, yeah, Bexley Heath, though had a mega bowl. So Indeed. I don't know what you're. I didn't go anywhere. I not know what you complaining though. about. Why it was the best thing. It was the best. It was the best Friday night out. Was being a
0: nine year old and knowing that you're, you know, if you did know that you were, you were gay all the way back then, what what was it like growing up in South London in a place like Bromley?
1: I mean, there were lots of things about it that were nice. And I realize now, as I'm older, that there were lots of things to be grateful for. But I think suburbia and the the world at that time was not a fun place to be different, really. It wasn't embraced. And I, I think suburbia at times can have a bubbling undercurrent of violence to it. Mm. And there was always a sense at like my school that people would be like, I'm gonna get my cousins, gonna get my cousins to come down. Like, even as children, like there was a there was a sense of kind of I, I, I don't know aggression i suppose and defensiveness uh which didn't make it very welcoming also a lot of music in the 90s was quite i found quite sort of downbeat it wasn't celebratory it wasn't sort of opulent like a lot of music is now it wasn't positive and and celebratory it was kind of like downbeat i i found and i know people will will not be happy about me saying that but um there, there wasn't kind of that much there wasn't a lot of joy and i, I think in terms of role models as a I didn't know if I was gay exactly when I was, say, nine years old, but mm-hmm. I knew I was different and I had kind of different interests and I was just a different person to everyone around me. But it was a time when there weren't any queer role models, really, very few. And so there, there weren't people on television talking positively about, not or just talking at all about being gay. Yeah, um, There weren't any role models, really um there were people in the newspapers who were outed so it was kind of the media treated it as something salacious and something shameful something that they could write about and um and pe- people had sort of you know and, and even sort of pop stars and stuff sort of were outed a lot of the time or ha- you know it wasn't like they weren't able to be front-footed and like i'm gay it doesn't matter they had to you know they they had to i, I don't know often had to do it in response to like press pressure and stuff like that so it wasn't it wasn't a happy time for them, I suppose, and a lot of people. And we didn't have like any gay friends. There were no gay people that we knew of in the area. There was no. There was, it didn't exist as so a thing. Century. it's sort of hard to explain now but with section 28 and stuff there was no mention of it in school at all Mm. and because of that as far as I can understand section 28 meant that that if you were homophobically bullied the teachers couldn't go don't say that to Tom that's not fair it's completely fine if he was gay like they weren't allowed to say that so homophobic bullying could thrive and the idea and you know sort of general homophobia and and kind of all, all, all sorts of kind of anti-queerness was able to exist. And, and, you know, things like PE were like, you know, stop skipping around like a girl. Yeah. It would be the sort of things that would be bandied around. And it's absolutely poisonous, really. And so I, so music in particular was a way of grasping at these, these just flares that seemed to be shot into the sky in the distance. I was like, oh, there's something I didn't know why or I couldn't explain it. It wasn't something I could articulate verbally, but I was like, oh. What is what is that? What is this person? What is this flamboyance? What is this kind of um, outsider's viewpoint? There are other outsiders there, and I didn't, I couldn't understand why I liked them, but I just did, yeah. and I suppose that was the. I think, like for a lot of people, our identities are forged in the music we're drawn to.
0: And this next Blur song, "Holding On for Tomorrow," I completely forgot about this song. It's a great, great song. Why oh. right there? What's the significance of this?
1: Well, I was choosing. Blur were one of the few bands. Bizarrely at my school, everyone was into Oasis. So I ended up buying Oasis as my first album. But I wished I'd be more into Blur, but it weren't, it wasn't a Blur school. Weren't, that was how it was. It was that sort of tribal with mm. like different bands and britpop. And um and I liked Blur because they had that sort of poetic kind of social critique about them. And I heard this song actually much later in in my life, like like into my later teens. Mm. Um and I just thought it really summed up a feeling of mundane living but holding on for tomorrow and we're all just kind of it's so easy just to be like get through the day get through the week holding on for tomorrow and just kind of the the people that details in the lyrics and I think I don't always listen to lyrics and songs I'm much more into melodies but I found these these lyrics I really tuned into just this sort of longing
0: it's interesting. Damon Albarn, back in kind of '93, was almost like a one-man liberation unit with girls and boys. That was incredibly forward-thinking yeah. track, wasn't it? Even when I heard absolutely. it, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that is that was that must have been quite revolutionary, actually, for him to bring that out and and never really acknowledged for it either. And uh, that yeah, that the way that they kind of sort of quietly kind mm-hmm. of got on with kind of satirising and and sort of pushing the envelope, as it were, was really profound. Actually, yeah, boys who do girls who do girls like the yeah. boys. Is that the right? I've I remember mean, seeing guys yeah, no one in, was that. in
0: Zen's in Dartford. Don't judge me too harshly, Tom. But we uh, was learning a lot
1: about you. The straight yeah. boy is
0: singing along to that, and I was thinking, do you really know what you're singing along to?
1: Oh, that's in, yeah. Well, because of course, as well, like living in suburban. Bromley growing up, and I long for the idea of, of, of a world where the boys I fancied would potentially be open to that. Yeah. You know, like, do you know what I mean? It was kind of so fantastical to me. It was, so, it was so anathema, the idea of like the other boys kind of being like possibly into that, because they were totally not, and they were very vocal about, like, mm. I'm not gay. Well, not, what, are you gay or something? I'm not, you know, so a- aggressively anti-gay. It, the idea of it was, was, was kind of was farcical.
0: It's an honour to be chatting to Mr Tom Allen. The next track you've got down here is from Suffy Ann Stevens called Chicago. Why did you put Sufjan down on your Pride playlist tonight?
1: He uh, does amazing music that's sometimes folk inspired and sometimes kind of like almost like hymnal. And then sometimes at the other end is, is dance and electronica and it also, that I mean, that's wow. my eclectic mix, I realise. But I have i really love it. I just love the epicness of it. I love kind of the way he'll combine like an orchestral bed with, so I don't know, I just think there's something really lyrical about the whole thing. It's got a really um, epic like sound, hasn't it? A really big epic, you yeah. know, anything can happen. And it's a song that features in the film uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And I love that film. And I love that film about the sort of um, aspiration of this small girl who just sort of wants to do these pageants, even though, the world is not set up for her and she yeah. just does it anyway. And um, it's the song and it's about a family and just sort of struggling against the odds to get her to this pageant thing, and everything is falling apart around them. And they've got this van that doesn't work. And it's when they get you in the van, they play this song. And it's about, a, it's about, a, people might know um, Sophia and Stevens as well from um, Call Me By Your Name. He does a lot of the songs in that. Of course. And also he, there's a song of his that features in the pilot episode of This Is Us. So again, kind of. Both winsome. <laughs> There's always a theme of light sadness in things that I <laughs> seem to perse- persevere. But um, this song, Chicago, is about somebody going on a trip to to Chicago. That's basically it. And and the the, the whole rhythm of it is very much. It's, it sounds like an engine. It sounds like a train engine. It's got this kind of motor rhythm um, under underscoring it. And and it sounds like you're pushing forward. You're always pushing forward. And I think that's how a lot of people feel about life. They're sort of struggling against the tide, struggling against the waves, and yet they keep going. You keep going. You keep aiming for the place you're going to, whether that's Chicago or whether that's Bromley South Station, but um, you know, <laughs> John Lewis Oxford Circus, whatever it is. Yes. Um, you just keep aiming for it, and I think there's the, there's that hope in it. It's a really. I thought. I think it's a really big song. I, 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 if people haven't heard it, I recommend it. It's one of my top three. I would say.
0: I've dug out the full version as well, so we can listen to that in its entirety. <laughs> oh so yeah. We we'll
1: get that on now. It was introduced to me as well by, by a friend of mine, Martin, um, who I knew in my early 20s, particularly, got to know him. And just, you know, when you have those friends who just inspire you and you have a friend who just goes, listen to this, play this song. Oh, you like this album. you like this guy. And some, suddenly when somebody gives you permission to be interested in something, it opens the door for you. I found that with a lot of songs that like I wouldn't necessarily know if I was allowed to like them. And then somebody goes try this. And you go, oh, yes.
0: This next tune you've picked then, this is an interesting one. This is Andrew Gold, Lonely Boy, which really takes me back to reading your book. Um, you know, specifically, Tom, the bit where you're coming to terms with who you are and the fact that you felt different from
1: other people in your family. Is that why you picked this particular song? Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. I think as queer young people, I know. Well, I know I felt sometimes that I was Quite different, and I didn't know how to talk about how I felt, or if I was allowed to talk about how I was feeling and who I was and what was sort of stirring. Um, And and so I did feel quite quite lonely, and I felt at school, especially. I didn't, particularly primary school. Actually, I found it really difficult to relate to the other children, Mm. and I felt really isolated. And I was bullied at primary school, and I felt really lonely. And I think there was—I never heard anybody sing about it, but I think as well the fact that Andrew Gold wrote the theme to the Golden Girls all fits into this marvelous puzzle. of um camp <laughs> culture <laughs> nice. L- um Lon- lonely boy i think is um it's really epic as well it's kind of got a real like positivity about it, sort of anger about it in a sort of 70s pop way and i like that sort of romance of the 70s sound to it it sort of feels a bit like it could be played in the background of tales of the city if anybody likes, listen- of likes reading those books of um which are really joyful set in the 70s in san francisco sort of songs that are kind of it sort of feels like a different time when people were just sort of a bit more, you know, the tail end of the hippie era and before the kind of aggressive capitalism of the eighties, it feels like, you know, gay liberation was starting to happen and people were wearing flares and long hair. And I, I don't know, it just sort of, of course it wasn't, I'm sure it's quite like that, but it's sort of got a sweetness about it that I, I like. And I, I had it as the um, walkout music to my tour, which I did. And I have I, I, I only toured once and um, that was always the song that I ended the show with as I, as I, say so goodbye to everybody so yeah it was uh it's a yeah really love that song
0: what i love also about the book and talking about the hard times is you make us laugh a lot off the back of that and you know the story about um getting lost in waitrose and reporting yourself so you could hear your name on the tannoy and uh, you know mm-hmm. i just thought that's genius why didn't i think of
1: that is that true <laughs> Yeah, I did, and it wasn't just once. I did it loads. Mum would be like, "Where's he gone?" Oh, and then, <laughs> then bing bong with the parents, on. and um, and so yeah. So it was kind of the sort of thing I love to do, and I, in a way, I've been lost in waitress ever since. But uh, it, it was, um, it, it, yeah, it was kind of uh, um, with the book. I tried to lean into the times I was eccentric and and sort of sort of explore them and lean and, and sort of try and celebrate them because it's so easy to be like i'm weird i should try and hide that i should disguise that from the world around me but actually if you go um if you go hey i was a show-off child a flamboyant child here 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 are some examples people don't go how disgraceful they go oh that's uh, like that's i really was cool yeah is there <laughs> yeah. any advice
0: i mean if somebody was listening right now thinking gosh that's that's me you know a younger person not fitting in is there advice from you on how to deal with that and does life get better
1: it would be bold of me to offer any advice what do i know lived at home with his parents lives 37 but um i think if you feel different be as different as you can i don't know if that's good advice or not you, you know just that's what i realized i got to a point where i just i was like i'm a bit strange i'm interested in all these peculiar things and People around me were like, why? Why are you interested in that? Why? What's that? Why? Why don't you just like normal things? Why are you like that? Why do you talk like that? I always had this posh voice, which my family never had. And they were like, why? Why do you talk like that? No one else talks like that. And it was like, I was constantly explaining myself. And then I just sort of went, you know what? Why don't I just be as weird as I can be? And there'll be so many questions for people. They won't know where to start yeah. and they'll leave me alone. And that's kind of what happened. Was
0: there an age um, when that all kind of fell into place, when you thought finally, no, I am who I am? Sorry to be so cliche
1: about the whole thing, but I'm just going to be me. There, there was and there wasn't. And, and I think, of course, I, yeah, of course, it does get better for people, anybody who's worried about and feeling very isolated or, you know, nervous about, about the world, reg- you know, regardless of their, their identity, I think everybody feels an anxiety about growing up and of course it does get better. I think, but what I wanted to say as well is it gets, it, it gets better, but it gets better when you kind of learn to love yourself. And I think that's a difficult yeah. thing and it's very easy, you know, kind of, it can be a bit glib when people are like, just love yourself. You've got to love yourself. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Mm. You know, how do I do that? How you do know, you the start? World is how do you start? And the world has potentially set you up. Well, for me, I felt the world had set up to be like, don't love yourself. In fact, it's the opposite of love yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, it's difficult to undo that. So, I I, I say it absolutely gets better. And take those um, jumps, those leaps, um, because you will, um, you will be supporting, You will find people out there who love you back and will support you. But don't worry if it doesn't happen instantly, like it does in um, in, in in films.
0: Wonderfully put. I'm just kind of sat here listening to you, nodding and agreeing and taking all that in. Your next tune, this is quite a powerful one. Uh, One I haven't heard for ages, Rufus Wainwright. I don't know what it is. Tell me about this.
1: Well, I got into Rufus Wainwright when I started doing stand-up and a friend of mine got me to listen to him and I didn't know you were allowed to sing songs about things that weren't to do with love. And so suddenly this, this voice, which is quite an unusual voice, if you haven't heard Rufus Wainwright before, he's got quite a... I would say quite a reedy tenor mm. and it's quite an unusual but he he just he embraces that unusual sound and he has all these influences which range from Puccini and 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 the the op, op the world of opera and show tunes and uh folk he's from a folk music family and and combines them all into these songs that feel again very hopeful and very and have a sort of sense of longing and a sense of kind of going on a, a journey and and going on I, I I don't know, just sort of like trying to find yourself and trying to understand yourself. But they're rooted in the moment. They're not trying to. They're not wrapping everything up with a bow. Um, but he sings about you know like phones being on vibrate, and and he sings songs about um, being a beautiful child. And I, I I think his album Want One really blew my mind because it was about just being a person. And and when I grew up, it wasn't you know there weren't there wasn't that sort of There weren't that many songs or that much culture about just like just be you, and it doesn't Mm. matter. It doesn't matter if you don't know who you are. It doesn't matter if you're not in love, or you know, it doesn't. You know, you know, and his the 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 poetry of his of his lyrics, which talk about, you know, kind of unrequited love and the sadness of that and the complexity of that, feels very felt felt really powerful to me really important to me
0: you know we touched earlier on the lack of role models back when when you were growing up when when do you think that changed because i seem to remember that the tide kind of turned around brian winning big brother and will young on pop idol and having kind of young open would you agree that that was the moment (laughs) things got a little bit brighter for us
1: i for me i distinctly remember graham norton coming on television and a lot of people like dismissed him, I think. I remember like, I think Ricky Gervais is really like sort of dismissive of him in extras and stuff. And um, he was, Graham Norton was so powerful to me, was such an important role model because he brought a sense of joy into late night television. i would never seen someone on television who was gay, funny, outrageous, you know, openly gay, openly silly and naughty and cheeky. And it felt so exciting to stay up late and watch his show on a Thursday night. And it represented a world of happiness and where you could have where your sort of outsider perspective and your sense of humor was a great was a great skill and a great power. Um, And and he celebrated that and that sense of kind of like bringing out sex toys and drawing them in Betty's face and (laughs) getting a you know, and like getting a rubber enthusiast to speak to Cher on the phone and just sort of like kind of made us laugh in a way that wasn't. But it wasn't like, look at the these people, they're all silly. Oh, they're they're disgusting, they're weird. It was like, well, we're all a bit weird, you know, like he'd go around the audience and he'd talk to people and they'd discuss like their kind of the weirdest date they'd ever been on or the weirdest encounter they'd ever had. And and sort of made it all like, oh, we're all together and we're all we're all we've all been in these kind of situations where we're all sort of feeling like an outsider. And that was so important to me and so powerful. And um and the way it just sort of started on Thursday nights and it felt like this really lively, and like I said, I don't know if people I don't know if people I don't know. I, I sort of remember there was a little bit of like dismissiveness about him. And I just always thought he was the biggest, most important cultural figure I'd ever seen. Um, and it was suddenly like, oh, this can be fun. Like, because up to that point, my experience had been, the only representations really had been in dramas where sad things had happened to people who were gay. Mm. Their families disowned them or or they they, they you know, they were like queer bashed and stuff so there was no kind of like there was there didn't seem like there was very many positive role models and he was the first one And i was like oh maybe this is going to be fun and that that was really part of the the beginning of the journey of me kind of learning to accept myself and learning to love myself because i've never had that role model
0: do you know and i think that's the reason why graham norton is thought of as a national treasure i mean like everybody loves him we're rattling through the tracks so let's go to your next one this is this is the interesting pick the kinks well-respected man um what's the significance here
1: My mum got me into the kinks. She would often buy me an album for Christmas of somebody she loved growing up. And I think the kinks represent the Beatles did it too. And lots of other people as well, but that social satire that seemed to be a part of the sixties and, and sort of echoes kind of the, the kind of the sending up of the traditional sort of stereotype of what Britain is and, or was and thinks it is, you know, I think, and I really enjoyed that because again, it comes from an outsider perspective and, and, um, And I think for me, it sort of sends up a a notion that I've been aware of. I kind of like the idea of these kind of uh, English eccentrics, but I like the idea of of them sending the king sending them up in that sort of 60s way that seemed like it was with love but it was also with a sharp eye.
0: Do but, you yeah. um, you know with you with the level of career the, you you know the, the level of success you've got now do you sometimes kind of pinch yourself and and go it's happened so quickly and and, and look at where I've come how how, how is your head dealing with mm. what you've got and your achievements and your success
1: Well it's very generous of you to say it like that. I mean I feel very lucky to be doing the things I like doing. It, it's taken me 16 years to get to where I am now. If that is anywhere at all, I don't know. But um, I did stand up for sort of 13 years before I got any any, any kind of work on telly.
0: What was that like, the stand uh, up? Because it seems it's so harsh. You make
1: it or you or, or you don't. Well, I think it's a bit like I was saying earlier. You go, you do it because you like laughing and you like making people laugh. And the world of stand up to you when I started in 2005 was still very blokey, very male dominated, very straight white, middle-aged men. It was, and the comedy clubs wanted that and expected that. Mm. And um, they were aggressive places and they didn't take kindly to quirky characters or sort of vulnerable outsiders and me talking about a dessert trolley in a golf club. They were like, what? <laughs> they want to talk about, you know, something rude or something kind of more but did, you, but did you go ahead
0: and do that? Was that the act from from day one?
1: Um, yeah, at first I did it and people kind of, I did some, some newcomer competitions that people enjoyed me being the sort of unusual, I was like the last person who should be in a comedy club. And then after that, I had to take it in. I tried to take it into the comedy clubs, and comedy clubs were like, "What?" And they're not exactly like, "Oh, how lovely you've you've taken a, you, you know, you're having you're having a go. You should be applauded for your bravery." Instead, they were like, "What? Why are they doing this? Why, what? We're not interested in this. I just want to be made to laugh. I just want to be made to laugh, actually." And so, because I didn't have any confidence in myself, I think that's, and it and it then depleted as people responded like that. I had to. Work out how to be confident, really, mm. and the journey of those thirteen years, I suppose, was me learning to dull the voices in my head going, "You're not very good. You're a terrible person. Why do you think you can do that? How dare you waste people's time with your attempts at comedy?" I had to learn how to curtail that voice, and um, I also had to learn how to celebrate the things I enjoyed in in life and wanted to talk about on stage, and and that was the that was the real learning experience, I suppose, and if, if that's not too pretentious to say. The the 13 years in particular, I did stand up and even now is always a journey into allowing yourself to just be on it and and allow yourself to write things that you notice without sabotaging them. Um, it, It goes back to what we were saying about it gets better. It does, because the more you accept yourself, the more and the more you love yourself, the more the rest of the world aligns, I think. And the more happily, the more the more you care for yourself, the more the more, you know, you understand your work.
0: And now on to the next song, which is, well, we're going into banger territory here from 2004. Scissor Sisters, Take Your Mama. Uh, Tell me more about this.
1: Because I came out when I was 21 and my friend Sarah said to me, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time in life. And again, the Scissor Sisters were just really joyful and fun. And it was all about kind of, again, it was the first time I'd heard like, sort of what I imagined my world was a bit like and it's take your mum out is about somebody who's not out to their parents and their mum comes to stay um and they they live they're living there fabulous life in the city and then they have to like try and cover it up. And I thought that's the sort of thing I imagined myself doing. And again, I'd never heard that sort of experience being sung about and it was sung about in such a playful way. And they did those concerts where they dress up and they'd wear Halloween costumes. And I am like, I didn't know you were allowed to be as full of life as this. I didn't know you were allowed to be as joyful as this. I thought you had to just be like quiet and just sing songs about love. And they were like, Oh, this is like a party. And suddenly there were all these other people who really loved it. And I was like, Oh, life is fun. Like you're allowed to have fun. Honestly, to that point, I thought I was condemned to a life of misery yeah. because I was different and I had no role models and I was presented with um a, a homophobic environment in my school and in the wider world being gay was something that was yeah, as I say was something that people shamed people in the in the press about there was there was not I'd never been taught that it was something to celebrate and and that actually all the people who are really great are actually outsiders uh, a large number of whom are also themselves you know, would it identify as queer or or, or gay or, you, you know. So it was it was suddenly very thrilling. And I was like, that whole album was just like a party. And it was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm allowed to live my life. It was a huge permission. I suppose the sort of thing that actually a lot of straight people perhaps experience in their early teens when they're allowed to go to parties. And for me, that was so forbidden. Yeah. Like the idea of openly fancying someone and, and just keeping a lid on that, a really tight, probably Le Creuset, heavy lid on that <laughs> was was very toxic and very kind of... I've learned now through therapy and things that you know when you try and um, contain your emotions like that, they do have a habit of coming. They 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 sort of implode on themselves, and it does breed depression and anxiety and and all all manner of kind of unhappinesses. Unha- and this moment was a time when I realised, like, if I take that leap, it will get better, and and that there is a positive world out there, not a. Not a sort of shaming.
0: Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, I read lots about this in the book, but I need to ask you here: what was what was your coming out experience? How how was it for you?
1: What was well? I came out to my friends first, and they were really. I mean, the signs were there. Yeah, but it was just this kind of like sense of like, oh, I suppose I should tell people, which it's really unfair. I think that anybody who's not straight has to sort of it's tell tough, everyone,
0: isn't it? It's a tough thing to do. Uh,
1: um, yeah, because it's like. it's it's sort of nobody's business but your own but at the same time it's it it sort of is just it is part of your journey of going well i can talk about it and actually i will love myself for it so how old were you when you when you dealt with this except growing up i was just like i'm just never going to come out and i'm just going to be asexual and just not i don't want to but even though i had these like clearly fancy people love people i was like no i just wanted to just deny it all and then i got to the age of like 21 and i'd sort of no actually what it was i really fancied someone and we were in a youth theater together and i just i was like i don't want to be miserable anymore i'd left it was, i was 18 i'd left school and i was like i don't want to be miserable i want to just tell this person that i i really like them mm. um and so i came out to them and then um indeed because i don't live in a film they said oh that's great i'm not gay." Um, and then I'd been there before. Telling them, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I'm sure there's supposed to be like a song playing now, um, but um, yeah, he was very sweet about it. But I just came out to him. I didn't tell him that I loved him, but I'm sure the signs were there um, when I bought him a book of poetry to say thank you. Um, again, so cringy, so embarrassing, sweet. so sweet, so sweet, but so like, but these things we do when we're young, and that's mm. why I wrote the book. No shame because I wanted to explore that and go, why are we ashamed of those things? Because it's just part of being human. And then when I came out to my sort of friends, um, I, didn't, I just started talking about, oh, I really fancy this guy. And they were like, oh, fine. And they were great, because that's, that's what I wanted. I didn't want to make a big deal about it. As somebody who's made a living out of making a big deal out of things, <laughs> I on that occasion didn't want to make a big deal about it. And I told my parents a bit later, told my mum, and she said, Don't she was very really supportive and she and she said, Don't tell your dad I'm not sure how he will respond. Which was unfair of all of and i sort of agreed, but because my dad was born in nineteen forty one, he's eighty this year. Mm. It's a different generation, different era. But he when I did tell him, I told him on the phone a couple of years later, and he was really emotional. So it was kind of my problem that I didn't believe that he he was kind of emotional because i think he felt sad that i hadn't been able to tell him it's
0: such a big thing though isn't it And you can't preempt how people are going to think and the reaction you're going to get and you know the way you're going to deal with it
1: and i think that's why it's so important like role modeling and and pride and conversations that we have because it lets people know in advance if they're about to come out that you know what to expect because like i think for everybody sort of before sort of my generation i think it, it was there was nothing there to relate to, so you just didn't know. You didn't know how your families might respond. Now I think there's a lot you'll get much more of a gauge of how supportive they'll be.
0: Yeah, and of course you mentioned pride. Something we're talking to all other guests about on my pride playlist is pride and pride season. What does it mean to you?
1: Pride season. I know that's it's really um it's really becoming a big thing, isn't it? It's it great. Is. Um, yeah. pride to pride month, pride pride year. That's what I'd like to see. Um, that would I think be great. Uh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Exhausting. We'd all be exhausted. Um, I, I think it. I think it's a really brilliant thing, and I think it's really great that there's a celebration and a get together of of people who are have had similar experiences. Because I think it's very easy to feel isolated as somebody who is not straight, um, especially if you don't grow up in a world that's that you have lots of people that are in the same experience as you. And I know I didn't, so I've, i I felt great joy whenever I've been around people who who um, identify. Something other than straight, um, <laughs> and and so um, I think it's really wonderful. I think I think as well though as as I say, pride. The notion of pride is a journey, and it's an ongoing thing because I think it is hard when if you grow up in a very homophobic environment to expect people to go like from well. I, I know I had a great sense of self loathing growing up as a result of yeah. the the world I was in, and so it's taken me a long time to to reverse that. And I think again, it's important to acknowledge that because otherwise people might feel like this the sort of they're, they're well, I know I felt inadequate because I didn't immediately go, I'm so proud of myself. Um, I have such great pride. Um, it took me a long time to experience that. And and I I always feel it's important to point out that it's not it's not like in musicals where everything is worked out and tied up with a bow. Like we're all and I think it's true of every human being, really, the relationship mm-hmm. with with the self. Is often complex, and and I think that it's okay. I just think it's okay just to wh- whoever you are, wherever you are, however you're feeling that day is valid and is important, and you're allowed to feel that, and that's great. Do you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. think
0: take it one step yeah. at a time, and uh, and
1: take it at your own pace. Yeah, because yeah. it's about you. It's about you and your your yourself and how you love yourself and how you want to experience it, and wh- however you want to experience it is absolutely correct and brilliant. There's no one way to do it. And so I think that's for me. That's an, that's that's what it means.
0: Thank you. Tom Allen it's been a joy to interview you and hear about your journey of course it's all in the current book no shame if you get the audio version it is hilarious it is so so good uh, but Tom it's, it's been great to, to know how a you know normal boy in Bromley has grown up to be such a successor you are and to see all the wonderful things you're doing right now let's finish off on this one song Elton John Tiny Dancer why did you want this
1: um, I always loved Elton John as a teenager, as an early teenager before he was sort of like, he'd obviously been a huge star and was a huge star but he, he wasn't sort of in the public eye as much in the early 90s uh, I felt anyway, but I've never I've never met him, it's my dream to meet Elton John um, I um, always longed to be his friend and I always thought if I met him he would be able to sort everything out because he, and I think he does do that for people, I think he is a very brilliant role model from what everybody says and he's really positive to everybody and really encouraging and um i just loved him at a time when you know it was was before he played at diana's funeral so Mm. he was obviously a big star everybody knew him but but like it wasn't something that teenagers were fans of but i loved um the early albums i've always loved his early albums which don't get talked about enough namely tumbleweed connection um and captain fantastic and the brown dirt cowboy um and madman across the water and tiny dancer is the opening track on that and i always thought it was such a great song And then that film came along almost famous. And then suddenly everybody loved it. And I was furious because I was like, no, Elton John is my special friend. My secret. (laughs) My secret. I'd have posters of Elton John up on the wall. Well, you couldn't buy posters of Elton John. So you'd have to get like, I remember I had a really lovely art teacher who kept a Sunday supplement that did a feature on him. And so I just cut those pictures out and put them on the wall. And like my friends, my parents were like, Why you got pictures of him up? Elton John on the wall. Like all that sort of like. (laughs) suburban like why why got him up don't you want to have a picture of him? i don't know. madonna, or something. madonna. <laughs> yeah if i had madonna up yeah that would have been somehow i don't know, more Maybe even gay I, don't know I just love elton john yeah 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 elton John was just the right level of gay for me just <laughs> and, just the right and great outfits lovely extravagant life i loved it i loved it no one was like that no one was like you know like wearing versace and dressing up as a duck and having a throwing a tennis racket across a lift. No one was doing that when I was growing up, so it was like there are these people out there. Another flare went off in the sky.
0: Isn't it so, lovely that now he's he's regarded as like a national treasure, isn't he? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and so beloved and so wise. And yet, what a life! Like what an amazing mm. life um, he um, he, you know, just has lived and and done like lived excessively and hilariously, and um, and you kind of go well. That's what my friend said to me. None of us are here for a long time. We're here for a good time.